Welcome to the eGovernance Academy podcast to discover the future of governance. eGovernance Academy has assisted digital transformation globally in more than 130 countries. Our experts will share their insights and worldwide examples on how digital technology could benefit every society. Tune in for the Digital Government Podcast every Wednesday. Welcome to eGovernance Academy podcast, and I'm happy to host today President Thomas Ilves, who is also eGovernance Academy Supervisory Board member. Welcome, Mr. President. This year has been uh, extraordinary, no doubts about it. And uh, spreading COVID-19 virus has has changed a lot. As we'd like to say that uh, one year has been like a decade. Also, it has been affecting a lot of our digital behavior and digital behavior of the governments because many governments have made really tremendous efforts to digitize their services, to make their digital more accessible online because of a reason, because people were just locked down in their homes and not even were able to go out even to their offices and then to the shops and government agencies. So... This tremendous and terrible year is almost over now. So what what are the lessons learned from a digital perspective from the year 2020? Well, I would start by saying the pandemic is still getting worse. So it's not the year's over, but the pandemic is still with us. And um, we will need to uh, deal with um, that throughout the coming years. So let me start out by saying, well, the more digitized the society has been, the easier it has been to at least deal with the pandemic and to, in fact, also perhaps, there have been no studies yet, as I've seen, but perhaps to also make life safer for people. Much of government was also shut down, I should say, and I'll get to that. But for the first thing is, okay, I mean, in advanced societies where people have uh, are which have which are broadly wealthy enough to have computers at home. Office workers, schools continued to operate because kids had computers and office workers had computers. In countries where there's that's not the case, it's more difficult because if you're a kid, and I mean this is not just you know a rich country, even in a rich country like the United States, there are poor people who don't have a computer at home. So um, so then that means that those kids suffer and people who work in jobs that uh, require computers but don't have one at home also suffered. Computerization did not help those the people who were actually work in non-computer I mean, jobs. I mean, you still had to build roads, for example. I mean, there are these offset by the fact that you don't have to sit in a room with people all the time. Now, it is clear that digitization of government and public services either saved lives or, or, or then allowed people to continue functioning. The example I bring is that uh, three months into the pandemic in the United States, There's an an article in the New York Times saying that there was a backlog of unserviced passport renewals and passport requests in the U.S. of 3.5 million people. 
And as far as I know, I haven't seen any changes, but even now, you can only renew a passport or get one if you have to deal with a family emergency, right? I mean, it's just, you can't do anything. I mean, you, all right, well, you can say you're not traveling anyway, but I mean, <laughs> but still. So, whereas in Estonia, and this is more broadly, I mean, we had, we saved lives and, and government operations continued basically unimpeded both on the supply and the demand side. On the supply side, I mean, you, you know, you could just renew your passport. You could, you could do all of those things digitally. It was not a problem and there was no slowdown. On the demand side, the citizen side, well, since you don't have to go and stand in line in a crowded government office, because we don't have crowded government offices, you know, the risk of spread is much smaller. Um, you know, if you go to, an, even in Silicon Valley, if you go to the Department of Motor Vehicles, you know, there's a big waiting room full of people take a number and waiting to go to the window to talk about them. We don't have that. I mean, it's just such a bizarre concept. Um, and I just stress that that's, even in Silicon Valley, that is the case that you, I mean, it's just government is not digitized. You may have your iPhone 12 and do, and you can run around chasing Pokemons or whatever you do, but you still have to stand in line, right? Because, because this is a government okay. transaction. This is not whatever bank transaction or gate. It's a serious issue. Right. Well, it's, I mean, the private sector invents all these things. The government uh, sector has not felt the need in many countries to actually develop secure, secure government services. So those countries are at, a, are at an advantage. And I think in, in uh, worldwide, Northern Europe, um, aside from Sweden, where they, for different reasons, but has done fairly well compared to other countries, because you don't, I mean, critical services, I mean, if you have to renew your driver's license or, I mean, all the kind of day-to-day -day stuff that you need to do, you don't, you don't have to go anywhere. And also the government continues to work, whereas if the government sends everybody home and says, okay, uh, we're non-digital anyway, so no one can get their passport renewed because no one's working, well, that's where you are. Uh, so, so that side of the uh, pandemic uh, is quite, um, I mean, it's clear, the benefits of digitization. Now, where we really need to move on to, and where we did suffer with the pandemic, is in um, the slow development or lack of development of things such as supply chain integrity. We had lots of cases where unscrupulous sellers of fake, I mean, in, uh, masks that did not work, respirators or ventilators that did not work, and you didn't know where they came from. Some company was selling it, and you go online, and a government will order like, you know, 10 million masks, and it turns out they're completely useless. And here, clearly, what has been an issue sort of in the high, in the tech field of um, you know, sort of looking at supply chain integrity 
if you buy something, is it really, are you getting what you sold, what you bought? Uh, that will become absolutely crucial when we get to the, get to the vaccines being produced because they are, okay, we have the news at least uh, from the um, beginning of November that vaccines have been created and they will become broadly available in 2021. But how do you know you're getting a real vaccine or you're just getting saline solution put into your arm, right? I mean, that's the issue. Because as soon as you get that vaccine, presumably you're going to start walking around and feeling that you are immune to COVID. But if it turns out it was only salt water that they put into your arm, then that's not going to help much. So we really need to work on supply chain integrity together with the issue of vaccines. And, um, well, I don't know if people are dealing with that or not, but certainly that's one thing if I, if I were to, um, someone to ask me, what, where, where do we need tech? I would say that's like the first place we need to deal with, uh, with um, you know, modern uh, distributed ledger, also known as, as blockchain, but I hate that word because everyone thinks of Bitcoin, because they both begin with B, but so distributed ledger is what we want to have uh, for ensuring that you're getting what you've bought. Because not every, I mean, very few countries will be producing their own vaccines. There'll be two, three countries that will produce the bulk of vaccines. And you want to make sure that when the government or a company or a health provider buys, you know, millions of units that you're getting what you're getting. Because in fact, if you don't do the supply chain integrity side of things, it can actually make everything worse. I mean, imagine you get 400,000 people all from one set of vaccines, and it turns out it's not really the vaccine. Well, there's the 400,000 people who be walking around and could quickly come down with COVID. So, I mean, this is uh, certainly we saw also, I mean, to continue on the tech side of things, uh, huge problems in um, inside countries of uh, various forms of supplies. It's because you didn't know who had what. And some, hospital, some hospitals had huge amounts of, you know, something and other hospitals didn't. And it's it's not efficient to go around calling up, say, do you have any of those or do you have any of those? You, in fact, should have a constantly updated inventory registry that uh, that every time you use something it's or get something, then it's sent so you know. This was especially a problem in the United States where some states had far too many respirators or ventilators, sorry, the term ventilators, Others had zero. Some people, people were, some places people were dying because there was a not enough of it. Other places, well, they were, they just had a lot of leftover ones. So, uh, I mean, these are also, I mean, these are simple, basic, logistical, record keeping issues that need to be implemented by governments to be able to handle these kinds of issues. What will be coming up will be, well, what we saw uh, actually coming into effect or working uh, are the various uh, contact tracing apps, which are used to quite an extent in Northern Europe, 
maybe less so in some countries in the rest of Europe, almost not at all in um, the United States. Now, what is these contact tracing apps are are very good, and they're very. I mean, they are, you know, because of I watched them do this. This is all now. Oh, I would say personally, overblown fears of privacy violations. But okay, so we'll accept that. I mean, my personal belief is that when it comes to things like life and death, maybe you might want to ease up on sort of you know that side of things. But that's that's a personal decision. But what is Clearly, a problem that needs to be resolved is that uh, which I meet up with every you know every time I go to Latvia where my wife works. I mean, it, the Estonian one works in Estonia, the Latvian one works in Latvia. There is no exchange of information. So, if I if I go to Latvia for a day and I've been exposed, and I come back to Estonia, I don't know I've I've been exposed. They're not interoperable. And on top of that, you can only have one of these working at a time. So how do I know? I mean, if I when I go to uh, when I go to Latvia, I mean this is true of all countries. You cross the border, and then if that country has a contact tracing app, you have to use that country's contact contact tracing app. And you, you know, you think this is utterly ridiculous in Europe, for example, where you have you know. You have all these countries, people still move back and forth, especially to their neighboring countries, and they're not interoperable. I mean, and, and besides, they all use the same tech. It's not as if the Estonian one is based on different technology from the one that you have in Latvia or Lithuania or Finland and Estonia and, or Finland and Sweden and so on, Germany and France. They all use the same technology, but for some reason, we are unable to create the legislative basis for having these be interoperable. I mean, and once again, this is, this is another classic example of where are the bottlenecks in tech? They are not in the tech. The tech is way ahead of of the legal system. The legal system has not caught up with technology. There is no reason why this tech does not cannot work across borders, but we you have not made it legally possible for it to work that way. And indeed you also, since the since Apple and Google, who are the ones who provide either the Android or Apple um, app provider, in order to get it, you have to have an agreement with Apple or Google, and they will do it with a country. But there are different agreements. So, uh, I mean, we have, the governments need to talk to the companies, and they need to talk among themselves. And this will have to happen in the next year. And then we get to the next stage, which is where we're, um, once we have the vaccine, we will need a an immunity passport app. Allowing you to travel between the countries. Yes. Well, once again, you're going to have to have an app that is recognized. I mean, the, the, the app, which, I mean, there are prototypes now. It hasn't gone much further because there's no real need for it uh, because we don't have a vaccine. No one is immune, really, or at least uh, we don't even know if people who have had COVID remain immune. 
But this is coming. So when we have a vaccine, you will need a immunity certificate of some sort. Of course, some countries will just give you a piece of paper and you have to walk around with a piece of paper. But, you know, I mean, much makes much more sense in, in terms of security and everything else. If you, you know, you get this, you get a QR code that says you are immune as of this day, right? And you, when you cross the border, you put your phone down, say, yes, you're immune. Come into the country. We have to get, we have to get the legal basis for all this to be working. And as I said, well, the tech, the, the tech people don't think about the legal side and the people on the legal side or the lawmakers and policymakers with very few exceptions even think about tech. So this is a classic problem. And then this is a problem not only during the COVID, but also like in many other cases during our daily life. But But I think many countries during 2020 has at least recognized that this kind of solutions, digital government solutions, digital services solutions, what they have provided is are serving their citizens very well also in non-crisis times. So, so no one is interested actually to go to a motor department to sell the car and, and wait there for two hours, even in very normal conditions. Even we were conditioned rooms and not a lot of people were. So no one is interested to do it. So so I think this COVID crisis at least was given a push to the governments to move for digital. And I was sometimes, I, I fear that, the, my main fear is that they do the things like just way around just to solve the problem somehow, but not in very systematic way. And and we know very well that it's both in government and business and private life that if you do something temporarily, and it almost works, you leave it as it is. So so I think we, we, this is the problem, what we need to address also, that do things properly, do the things that they are sustainable, and you can replicate it for other services also. And, and, and I think Estonia, but many other countries, are a good sample also. By doing things systematically, you, you can expand your digital ecosystem across the country for all sectors and use it both during crisis time, but also during the normal times. Well, that would be the normal thing to happen. I'm not sure how many people are doing this. Yeah, but hopefully, as usual, if your neighbor is doing better, you are motivated to move forward. So thank you very much, President Ilves, for this great conversation. And uh, we hope that this, this year, 2020, worse as it is, but at least it gives kind of pushes to move forward uh, Uh, the governments in the digital track and uh, hopefully the year 2021 will be better but uh, but whatever you do to make your country more digital it helps during any crisis and very well also during normal time so thank you very much president ilves this podcast is brought to you by e-governance academy tune in on next wednesday